Hello, everyone, and welcome to another one of our conversations here with Dan. What's up? All right. We're talking worship today. Are we really? We, well, that's the idea. It's a question about our worship services, or better phrased, about our uh, Sunday assemblies. Oh, now you're talking biblically, oh. Jeff. Don't start with, with that. <laughs> who, who am I? Sounds like you called me Jeff. So, so can we find a scripture that says worship services in the Bible? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, your your awareness is really good because it's okay. not in there. Yeah, okay, I don't think so. It's a term that I don't know when we adopted it, but it's the one that people are most comfortable with. They're used to seeing, you know, worship services are at 1030. And so wait a minute. Have that. we redefined this program to be about things that people are most comfortable no. with? Or should we talk biblically? We should talk biblically. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm just saying, I think that's what people are used to hearing. It's it's one of those, I've actually seen someone kind of give me that, you know, turn your head to the side and give me a weird look when I say a Sunday assembly. They're like, wait, what kind of church are y'all? You know, sort of thing. We're the assembly of God. Oh, that's even worse. Don't do that, Dan. I mean, that bothers people. Well, that's what the Paul <laughs> called the Corinthian church. Oh, ah, okay. So the question becomes, wait, we're kind of in the weeds here, uh, not necessarily about worship versus assembly, but what does it mean or is it appropriate when people start talking about our assemblies, our worship services, as seeker-oriented? Like, what's the purpose of the worship service? Sorry, okay. I'm going there again. <laughs> I think if we talk about seekers, uh, people who are seeking God, mm -hmm. you can go to Acts 17, what is it, 26 or somewhere around that neighborhood, where he says, we were made to seek God, if happily we might feel after him and find him, for he's not far from any one of us. Mm -hmm. Yep. Is that about the right passage? 1726, yeah. All right. So there are people like the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, like Cornelius, uh, maybe like that centurion in Luke 7, that were seekers of God, that were trying to find God. Yeah. And, of course, that is a wonderful attitude, and God even hear, hears the prayers of people like that yeah. as they're seeking him and sent preachers to him and everything. Right. So we're looking for seekers. There's oh, no question about absolutely. that. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, we pray for people with open hearts that are ready to hear the gospel, seekers. Yeah. If all we're doing is asking people to move from one building to another, we're just doing a numbers game. We're sure. not actually doing the gospel work. Sure. Yeah. But but we're looking for seekers. So seekers is a valid term. The, mm -hmm. the question is, were the New Testament assemblies uh, geared to seekers? Right. And the answer to that is no. Mm. Uh, in Acts 2, verse 42, we probably have the first uh, I mean, general description of uh, Christian assemblies okay. that you have in the Bible. Okay, where do we want to go with that? Acts 2.42. 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All right, so they devoted themselves to mm -hmm. the apostles' teaching, mm -hmm. fellowship, which is probably the sharing of the contribution, mm -hmm. the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, prayers, Mm -hmm. And we, that's just a generalized description. Yeah. But then when we go through the book of Acts and we see, for example, uh, the the preaching of the gospel, like on Pentecost and other things, there's no indication whatever that those were assemblies, Lord's Day assemblies. Those were out in the public oh, yeah. uh, evangelistic preaching. There's no record of singing, 
the Lord's Supper, anything like that with those. In fact, yeah. a lot of times they were in the synagogues, they were in the town squares, they were in the, the like amphitheaters of the towns. Whatever, yeah. yeah. So there's not a single occasion in Acts where there was a conversion that I'm aware of that resulted from a Sunday mm. assembly. Yeah. All right. Now, that's not to say that can't happen, but when you go to Acts 20 okay. and Paul waits several days to be able to assemble together with the church mm -hmm. at Troas, yeah. Acts 20 verse 7, okay. actually read 6 and 7. So we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to the Metroads, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, but he prolonged his speech until midnight. All right, so here we have a, a Sunday, first mm -hmm. day of the week, right. gathering together to break bread like we had in Acts 2, verse 42, mm -hmm. and um, the preaching, mm -hmm. see, and so that is a very light tap on a Sunday assembly, yeah. which had a lot of teaching or preaching in it. it That's had, the one where the guy fell out of the window. There Eutychus was so much teaching. fell out the window and all that, yeah. <laughs> so um, that's a little bit on a Sunday assembly there. Okay. Now, we don't have a greater uh, picture of the Sunday, Sunday assembly than we have in 1 Corinthians. Mm. Because in 1 yeah. Corinthians 11... Uh, especially verse 17 through chapter 14, we have a de detailed oh, very. description yeah. of uh, a Sunday assembly. Mm -hmm. Everything, if you take the first part of chapter 11, from the way women and men dressed in the assembly to their conduct, very extensive about the conduct during the Lord's Supper, good mm -hmm. or bad there. Mm -hmm. Then you have a lot of discussion about spiritual gifts and how those were to be employed or not employed mm -hmm. in the assembly. So really our most comprehensive look at a Christian assembly in the New Testament is 1 Corinthians 11 through 14. Mm -hmm. all and, right? and pretty much all of it is directed at current believers. Yes. There's a little bit of do these things in case there's someone who's in your assembly who doesn't know anything, but it's pretty much all... Do this as a believer. These are the gifts of a believer. Yes. This is the Lord's Supper taken as believers. Correct. Yeah. So in, in chapter 10, which is sort of a precursor to this, which is contrasting, you know, the the eating of meat sacrificed to the to the idols mm -hmm. to what we have in the Lord's Supper. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. And he expands on this in chapter 11 and talking about the Lord's Supper. Yeah. The cup of blessing that we bless is not is it not a participation in the blood of Jesus Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we are we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. All right, so the members of the body of Christ mm -hmm. partake of the loaf. Those who share in the blood of Christ uh, partake of the the cup, the, the wine, the fruit of the vine. And those represent fellowship, daily fellowship in the body and blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. Well, outsiders don't have that fellowship. Outsiders right. were not included in that. It was those that were baptized into the body, chapter 12, verse 13. Yeah. So uh, when he talks about the Lord's Supper in eleven seventeen and following, mm -hmm. notice the term come together like the assembly. Yeah. 
So it's there in that verse 17. In the following instructions, I do not commend you, uh, because when you come together, it is not for the best, but for the worst. In this first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. All right. So several times in there, he says, when you come together. Yeah. Which is just like Acts 20, when they came together on the first day of the week to break bread. Yeah. And here he says they were making it a show of division instead of a show of unity in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then he tells them what they should be doing, starting in verse 17 in that, um, excuse me, verse 23, mm. in that reading that you've heard 10 million times at the Lord's table. Oh, yes. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All right. So so those who have the covenant with Christ, mm -hmm. those who have been baptized into the body of Christ, those who partake of the one loaf because they're part of the one body, you know, they come together as, as a unified whole, not as mm -hmm. a fractured right. group. And they eat and drink the Lord's Supper. And as a central piece of the assembly being yes. to show unity in Christ. Yes, and it's not for unbelievers. It never was. It's not for the unbaptized. It mm. never was. It is a Christian thing. Okay. So again, it's not saying that they weren't allowed in the room, although there's some historical times where they were encouraged to leave during this time. Yes, that we have several ancient sources that talk about uh, the people that were not believers, though they might be in the assembly, they were dismissed when it was time to take the Lord's Supper. Mm. And, of course, the teachings of the uh, of the assembly were for the edification of the body, the mm -hmm. church. Yeah. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians 14, about verse 23 or so, let's see. If therefore the whole church comes together. Okay. Yep. Uh, let 1423, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say to you that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy an unbeliever or outside in, outsider enters, he is convinced by, he is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. All right. So there you have, even though the assembly is basically for the church and involves the uplifting of the body of Christ, there are going to be visitors to your assembly. Mm -hmm. And by properly worshiping God, by being devoted to him, we might convict someone who is in the room. Well, his point there is that what happens, the teaching in the assembly, the everything else that happens in the assembly needs to be understandable mm -hmm. yeah. so that both church members and those from the outside can understand it. Yeah. So to that degree, it should be seeker friendly uh, in that um, 
everything in the assembly should be understandable to mm. everyone. Sure. Uh, so, but that doesn't mean we. I don't want to say dumb everything down, but we keep everything at such a basic level no. that it's of no benefit to the no. It was the for body. it was for the teaching and edification of the body to mm. strengthen the church to to uh, build up the church and in that teaching it could also convict unbelievers that happened to be mm. there but unbelievers or outsiders were not full participants until they were baptized into the body mm. and then taken forward of that most of the evangelism in the church if you read the entire new testament mm -hmm. without prejudice right. was done outside of the Christian assembly. The Christian assembly's purpose was not primarily evangelism. Yeah. It was teaching. It was, as we've had a previous conversation, <laughs> yes. it was doctrine. Right. Okay. And it was worship in the sense of singing, edifying each other in mm. psalm. Yeah. In fact, the one another issue of, of edifying each other through song, through prayer, through uh, the Lord's Supper, through teaching... That's the primary emphasis of the First Corinthians passage. It's mm -hmm. not actually worship; it's edification. Not that these are contrary to each other. No, it's they're just both that in this of. in this passage, that's the main emphasis. Yeah, which goes to the point of for the outsider coming in, it's not that you want to make them feel unwelcome not or at all. confused, but it's an understood that this is not necessarily designed for you. We hope that it will eventually. You know, but right now it's for those who are already in Christ. Yeah, imagine imagine um, Christians who were influencing their friends, and their friends were open to learning more about Christianity, and and their friends say, you know, come to our assembly and see the things we do, and see the kinds mm -hmm. of things we teach, and then um, you know that would be that would be perfectly appropriate. But mm -hmm. the assembly was not primarily geared right to outsiders, so. In a practical, in a kind of from a practical purpose, on a weekly basis, you know, when you're prepping your worship service and you're thinking about the songs, the scriptures, the sermon, whatever, it, it's not necessary to always go, but is the outsider going to understand all of this to where you have to like backfill all the understanding that people who've been in all the time. But at the same time, should you find a way to encourage them to look more deeply? Absolutely. And and I, I do believe that, as he said in 1423, everything should be, I, I wouldn't call it dumbed down, because I think even in the, in the church, um, there are many religious things that people do that even church members don't understand. Amen to so that. <laughs> it teaches clearly in 1 Corinthians 14 that everything done in the assembly should be understand or understandable to everybody mm -hmm. there to spiritually teach them and spiritually build them up. But we should clearly teach in the assemblies mm -hmm. and not worry about dumbing down the clarity of our teaching to Christians so that we might we might possibly offend an outsider. Yeah. That's not what... Maybe a better way to phrase it without it seeming so negative is we shouldn't be afraid to teach a deep topic... Right. I'm not saying that we should be offensive to outsiders in no, any way, no, no, no. shape, or no, form. No, I mean offensive meaning like making people feel like they're dumb or they don't know enough or whatever. Right, right. But we shouldn't be afraid to go, oh, this is going to be a deeper theological discussion or this is something that maybe 
you know, oh, it's obviously not necessary to follow Christ initially, but it's something that's good to know the older or, you or get. Or maybe a difficult moral issue that we have to discuss that mm-hmm. here's the biblical teaching on it, or maybe there's a there's a a a um, teaching about leadership or a teaching, a doctrinal teaching that's really important to the growth of our mm-hmm. uh, our church family, and we're wanting them to understand that um, we can't take the clarity or the edge off of that because we're afraid that that's what the assembly was for in, yeah. the, in the early church. And, and the leadership one may be a really good example. You know, how many people out there really need to know how the elders in your congregation function? You know, you could always go, well, we're going to talk about generic good leadership principles or whatever, but an outsider is not going to come in and then walk away going, oh, I'm so glad I know how elders and deacons function in the churches of Christ. But, you know? <laughs> but, but on the other hand, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be edifying to all if we talked about true spiritual leadership and and what God truly wants from mm. from elders and how that is such a such a powerful and good work and how it's so needed and what is really involved in that biblically yeah. so that the outsider might say, hmm, that makes a lot of sense. That's very interesting that people would care about things like mm. that. You see, so so you want to teach the teaching in right. such a way that it's instructive to everybody, but you want to teach the teaching. And I think that's going to be key is if we're teaching the teaching, if we're focusing our worship where it's supposed to be focused, there will be something attractive about it. Yes, and, and you keep saying to all those that are visitors, our goal <coughs> for everyone here is to be part of the body of Christ to grow in the body of Christ. And if you're not yet part of the body of Christ, we want you to be part of the body of Christ. And we want you to be a full participant. And let's get up, get together outside of the assembly and let's talk about yeah. these things. And all that being said, this is where a, a good tool, would it? it's not going to be inappropriate to have like um, the friends and family Sundays. Absolutely. You that know? would be great. So it's it's not to say that you should never have no, no, a no. Sunday that's focused mm-hmm. on seekers. But if your worship is week after week after week focused on those who are outside of Christ. Then you're going to have an anemic church. Yeah. You're, you're going to have a weak them. church. But focusing on the outsider every now and again or making sure and adding those little clarifications or encouragements sure. is always going to be appropriate. And and what I would love to see is this, this kind of came up, you know, back generations back. But... You know, you think, where did extra assemblies come from hmm. in churches of Christ? Well, they came from largely attempts to uh, evangelize. And you're talking about Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. Whatever, you yeah. know. And so they made special efforts to reach out to um, unbaptized people hmm. and to teach them the gospel and to bring them in. And they did those at those other times. And those were not primarily in the Sunday morning church assemblies. Those yeah. were at other times. Hmm. With other yeah. purposes, which so more ha- reflects, yeah. Having I'm the sorry, Tuesday but it more night. reflects what we see in the book of yeah. Acts, maybe. Yeah. So saying we're going to have a Tuesday night, whatever type of service, mm-hmm. that's not saying we're going to have the Lord's Supper and we're suddenly worshiping on Tuesday, mm-hmm. but we are having a way of reaching out, of preaching the gospel, of inviting others. Yeah, and in. which they did daily in different mm-hmm. places and ways. There we go. All right. So maybe that got your brain thinking a little bit. Um, maybe made you think of some things you haven't thought about. Um, maybe it will spark some good conversations between preachers and elders and you know worship leaders and all that sort of thing to really think about what are we doing and why we do it, not just the are we fitting in our prayers, our singing, you know, yeah. et cetera, but what is the content of those things? 
Yeah, and, and are preachers supposed to be teachers? I would think so. But see, even today, <laughs> because of this seeker-oriented idea, whereas in the New Testament, evangelists were supposed to be teachers of God's people mm -hmm. as well as those that reach out. Yeah. Then Now we've got this idea that we don't need to really teach mm. in the assembly, and that's why we've got weak, mm. anemic churches is because we're, we, we need to teach. Gotcha. Yeah, if we're always staying at the milk level is essentially what we're talking about here. Yes, and we're, look at one scripture as we go out the door is okay. Colossians 1, 27 and 28. Okay. Which is really really strikes at the purpose of the gatherings for the church. Okay, Colossians 1, 27, 27. 28. All right, 1, 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. There you go. Amen. So let's work towards some Christian maturity this year. Yeah? Yep. All right. And Thanks. you can do that very effectively in the church Sunday assemblies. <laughs> We're glad you joined us for this one. Thanks, Dan, for your time. And we look forward to seeing everyone again next time.